Hello everyone, this is Lisa Fields, the founder and president of the Jude 3 Project, and I just want to take this time to personally thank all of our monthly supporters. We could not do what we do without giving from people like you. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. And if you're not a monthly supporter and you would like to become one, you can go to jude3project.org and hit the donate tab and sign up. We are grateful for you and we hope you enjoy today's new episode. God bless. Hello, welcome to the Jude 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jude 3 Project. Well, thank you for watching another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jude 3 Project. And I'm so excited to bring you another special guest, uh, Mr. Chris Broussard. Welcome, Chris. Hey, Lisa. How are you? It's great to be on. Great to have you on. Uh, I've been knowing you uh, for a few years, so it's good to have you finally on the podcast. I've, those- been, I've been wondering when I'm going to get a, get a <laughs> you know, to be on. So, <laughs> now you have so many great guests. I am a regular uh, watcher, uh, viewer of the Jude Three Project. You're doing a fantastic job, and it is it is definitely meeting a need in the kingdom. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. For those who don't know who you are, just tell our audience a little bit about you. Well, I'm a a sports broadcaster uh, and an NBA analyst for Fox Sports. So uh, I'm on television on Fox Sports 1 on a variety of shows, talking NBA. uh, And then I have my own radio show with my co-host, Rob Parker. It's called The Odd Couple. And that's on Fox Sports Radio. It's a national radio show from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern, 4 to 7 Pacific, um, Monday through Friday in, in about 400 markets throughout the country. So uh, people know me. I used to work at ESPN. I used to work at the New York Times. Uh, and most people know me as an NBA reporter, insider and analyst. And so uh, now I'm like more of a personality at Fox, but uh, that's what I do uh, for a living. And then uh, my passion is my ministry. I founded a ministry about 10 years ago called the King Movement, which is a national Christian men's movement that in a nutshell is geared towards strengthening men in their daily walks with Christ Monday through Saturday Uh, through accountability, encouragement, support, teaching, uh, and brotherhood. And so that's what the King Movement is about. That's my passion. And sports writing or sports broadcasting is my career. That's awesome. Um, And you you are a low-key apologist. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Low-key. And I I mean, I hope we go there because, man, I, I have some stories about that. And uh, I'm a little older than you and, and, and a lot of the other uh, apologists out there. So I can really take it back a few decades. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're more so probably, uh, I, I guess the opposite of that would be a high key apologist because you're you're actually engaging with people all the time. What, what did your passion for apologetics come from? Where did that kind of start for you? Yeah, I, I got saved. I became a Christian my senior year in college. That was 1989. I went to Oberlin College, which, by the way, 
Oberlin College in Ohio was the first college to uh, officially admit African-Americans. And um, there were a couple of colleges that had blacks, individual black students before that. But Oberlin was the first to make it a policy where we'll take people regardless of their race. It was also the first college to admit women. Oh, wow. so there's a great, yeah, great history there. Charles Finney, the evangelist, was instrumental in um, not the founding, but in the early, you know, foundations of Oberlin College. And uh, it, Oberlin was a stop on the Underground Railroad as well. And uh, I, at the turn of the 20th century, so the 19th, early 1900s, two thirds of all black college graduates had come from Oberlin. Wow. So it does have a rich history, but I, I became a Christian my senior year there. And my brother is a year younger than me. He went to Howard University, HBCU in Washington, D.C. And I was talking to him on the telephone and witnessing to him, telling him about, you know, how I got saved and sharing my testimony. And he was really uh, into what I was saying and open to it. And we prayed and it seemed like he had gotten saved as well. He started going to some church services or Bible studies on campus at Howard. And at the same time, he began going to Nation of Islam power studies, they called them. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is when 1989, the Nation of Islam was just having a kind of his second surge uh, or resurgence under Louis Farrakhan. And ultimately, after a few months kind of of doing both, my brother joined the Nation of Islam. And uh, one of my best friends who went to Tennessee State, another HBCU, he uh, was very influenced by the Nation of Islam as well. Never officially joined, but he was very influenced as well. And so they were coming at me hard, Lisa. I mean, you can imagine. I'm just saved. I've been saved a few months. I don't really know much about the Bible yet and and certainly not black biblical history and all that. And my brother and my best friend were coming at me with Christianity's the white man's religion. Uh, You know, they, they only gave us Christianity to make us better slaves, make us more docile. I mean, just, you know, all all I'm, I'm worshiping a white Jesus on and on and on. And. I didn't know really how to combat them historically or with knowledge. I could just say, look, I know what Jesus did for me. <laughs> I know Jesus ain't no racist. You know, there's nothing. <laughs> racist, you know, and Jesus was from the Middle East. We know he wasn't even white. That's like all I can say. Mm-hmm. But as I, I stood up solely on faith, I was like, look, man, I, I know what, what I experienced with Jesus Christ. And um, I, I, I'll give you a little story about that. I don't want to be too long winded, but I went to visit my brother at Howard during spring break of my senior year. So I, like I said, I've been saved a few months. He had just maybe within the last month become like a full fledged member of the nation of Islam. And so I was visiting him and we were going to black bookstores. There was a famous bookstore. I, I don't, I'm not sure if it's still there near Howard's campus, I think it was called Pyramid Books. Mm-hmm. And I think it was owned by Muslims, but we're in there and I'm looking at all these books, the Bible's tampered with. They had a lot of great books, but they had a lot of Islamic books that were critical of Christianity and things like that. So I'm looking at all these books 
And one day my brother was in class. I was in his apartment by myself. And I had the Quran right here. And I had the Bible right here. And I was raised Catholic. So I didn't have hardly any, I had hardly any biblical knowledge. Mm -hmm. And so I was taught Bible stories, obviously about Jesus. I went to Catholic school. So I knew a lot of biblical stories and things like that, but I had never read much of the Bible myself. And mm -hmm. so I'm looking through both of them and I see in the Quran and it talks about Jesus not being the son of God. And I know the Bible says he's the son of God. So I'm saying to myself, I'm like, okay, there's no way both of these are from God. Mm -hmm. And so I prayed, I went to his room, got on my knees and I just prayed. I said, Lord, I just want to serve you. Mm -hmm. I said, whatever if it's if serving you and being a man of God is being a Muslim or being a Christian, I'll do whatever. I just want to serve you. Mm -hmm. And I started getting this overwhelming feeling. It was almost audible of Jesus, 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 Jesus. It just kept coming to me. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I was like, man, I can never leave Jesus. And so I took that Quran, put it on the shelf or something. And from that point on, I never had any doubts. And again, I had stood up solely on faith, no historical knowledge, no apologetic knowledge, nothing but my relationship with Jesus Christ and knowing that he died and paid the price for my sins. And so um, once I stood up on faith, it was like all of a sudden I started coming across a lot of books about Christianity in Africa before colonialism and the Atlantic slave trade. Mm -hmm. I started coming across books about black people in the Bible and what certain words, Kush, Ham, and things meant and mm -hmm. how we could identify blacks in the Bible. So I really just started reading, reading. I have Lisa, I have, I'm, I have probably 90, more than 90% of the books that have been written on blacks in the Bible. I have mm. dozens of books. I became like a, like Frederick Douglass, like a self-taught scholar mm. on black history, particularly as it uh, pertains to the Bible and to uh, Christianity in Africa before slavery. And so I actually began teaching seminars on blacks in the Bible. And because uh, I did a lot of prison ministry and, you know, anytime you do prison ministry or ministry on the streets or even in college campuses, you're going to have to deal with the notion that Christianity is a white man's religion. You're going to have to deal mm -hmm. with Muslims and and comedics and, and people, other African-Americans uh, who are critical of Christianity. And so that really and that was the early 90s. Mm -hmm. So I Dr. Tony Evans wrote some great books. Uh, Reverend William McKissick, Dwight McKissick wrote some, a great book, Beyond Roots. Uh, Reverend Walter McCray wrote what I think is the, the best book on blacks in the Bible called Black, Black Presence in the Bible, volumes mm -hmm. one and two. And at that point, I, I think like that was kind of that strain. People were exposing blacks in the Bible. And, you know, the presence of black people in scripture historically. 
And I think today with the Dr. Eric Masons, the Dr. Vince Bontus, um, Adam Coleman and the apologists, they're taking it. They're that next level of where they're really going out and disproving these urban or these, you know, black mystery religions or whatever you want to call them, you know, that that go against Christianity. And so. Um, so, yeah, my, my you know, that's it goes back 30 years with me. Uh, because, you know, that's my story of how I got into the apologetics. <laughs> no, that's that's awesome. Um, you obviously are with athletes all the time. Uh, well, probably not as much because of COVID, uh, but you still are corresponding with them. What is how is that been as far as I know many of them struggle with Christianity being a white man's religion. How does that conversation usually go for, for you? What are kind of the steps you, you, uh, you kind of follow when you engaging? Is it usually, yeah. do you have a certain pattern or how is that? Well, real talk. I mean, most of my conversation with athletes is not regarding, you know, the Bible or Christianity or things like that. Uh, but obviously, you know, I've taken some public stances. So, Virtually all of them know I'm a Christian and I have talked with many of them about faith. I haven't. I think there may be a couple. If I can remember, I've maybe had a couple of conversations about blacks in the scripture or countering the, the notion that Christianity is a white man's religion. But to be honest, most of them, it's just been about faith mm. and uh, it's just like. As most African-Americans, obviously the NBA is almost 80% black. Most of those brothers have grown up with some type of Christian influence. You know, they, mm -hmm. they went to church, a parent, an aunt, a grandmother, whatever, dragging them to church. And um, so they've had, they've heard the gospel and things like that. So for them, the challenge is just, do they want to live it out? You mm -hmm. know, um, so I haven't had a ton of discussions with them about, Blacks in the Bible uh, or Christianity being the white man's religion. When I've talked with them about faith, it's just been more on, you know, living out your faith, walking out your faith, overcoming the temptations and things like that. Mm -hmm. That's helpful. When you do um, encounter people on the street that have bought into uh, white man's religion, uh, what? First of all, before we get to that, why do you think that is kind of still so the narrative of the day in spite of all the information we receive? That, that's a great question. And I like that you use the word still because it, it, there's really no reason for it to still be uh, a myth in the black community. And as you know, from talking to Dr. Vince Bantu, it's not just the black community. It is you know, it, with with some Asian communities, that's an issue because, you know, whites went and colonized most of the globe and, mm -hmm. and brought their version of Christianity with them, which was in a lot of ways, which was white supremacy with sprinklings of Christianity on it. And whether it was the Asians or the Indians or the Africans, they brought their Christianity. And so it became associated with them because they, in many they were oppressive as well. Mm -hmm. And so I th that's where it comes from. And I have to say this because I didn't, when I'm in my early years of doing these types of apologetics, I, I, I think there are three ways 
to dispel the notion that Christianity is a white man's religion, whether it's blacks or, or pe other people of color, but particularly African people of African descent. One is simply the words of Jesus and the Bible. Mm -hmm. Obviously, anyone with any knowledge of Jesus and the Bible and what he taught and Paul's teaching and all that, there is no white supremacy whatsoever in the Bible. Uh, mm -hmm. White don't play a huge role in the scriptures. You know, in, in the Old Testament, Ethiopia and, and Cush and Ham and black nations or in the Bible are mentioned more than a thousand times. Mm -hmm. Greece and Rome, obviously two European nations, are mentioned less than 50 times combined in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. So the words of the Bible is the first way you can dispel the myth. Secondly is the black presence in the Bible. Mm -hmm. uh, in the Old Testament, it's obviously replete with blacks. And in the New Testament, obviously there are many as well uh, from the day of Pentecost to you know Simon who helped Jesus carry the cross to Acts 11 where you know men of Cy Cyrene uh, which was in Africa were the first to to preach to the Greeks because mm -hmm. the Hebrews were doubting whether or not they should teach them the gospel uh, obviously Acts chapter 8 and so on and so on with the Ethiopian eunuch and then the third way is Christianity in Africa for, for the last 2000 years and particularly from the first century, right after Jesus died and rose, on up until they encountered Europeans in the 14th, 15th century. Mm -hmm. And so Nubia was a great Christian nation, Ethiopia, great Christian nation, first or second official Christian nation ever. Egypt was one of the hubs of early Christianity, if not the early hub. And so, um, you know, there, those are the three ways I think you dispel it. And then I have to say this. Uh, and again, early on in doing apologetics, I didn't really go there because I didn't really think about it this way. But it, it is a fact. White people, white Christians or so-called Christians have, whether knowingly or unknowingly, whether consciously or subconsciously, have promoted Christianity as a white religion. They mm -hmm. promoted it as the white man's religion. When you look at how they use their you know, they skewed and twisted the Bible and theology. Uh, and obviously they had the slave Bible where they cut portions out to support white supremacy and chattel slavery. Uh, you look at how they colonized in Africa, how they brought this picture of a European Jesus, which is couldn't be further from the truth in terms of historical accuracy all around the, the nation. When you look today at the right wing politics of white evangelicals. Um, and I, I agree with some portions of it, but overall it is largely promoting white interests mm -hmm. and, and white supremacy. And uh, when you look at all of this, they have promoted it as a white man's religion. And so uh, I get why a lot of brothers feel that way. And so one of the, key things about apologetics is what we're trying to do is remove that barrier because between the black man and Christ in a lot of cases is this barrier, this obstacle, this stumbling block of racism and white supremacy, Christianity is a white man's religion. So if we can remove that barrier, which is what we're trying to do, 
then brothers can look at the gospel for what it is and, mm -hmm. and understand they don't have a problem acknowledging they're sinners. Now it's like, okay, do you need a savior for your sins? When you face God on judgment day, do you want to face him and have him looking at you and all your sinfulness? Or do you want to face him and have him look at Jesus and his never having sinned on your behalf? And mm -hmm. if you can get that stumbling block out of the way, then you can have a much better chance of reaching brothers with the gospel. Because Lisa, let's just face it. I mean, in this country, whites control virtually every aspect, even as we've had an African-American pre president, now a vice president. You know, whites control the economic system that we live under. They control the educational system that we live under. They control the judicial system that we live under. And brothers want, spirituality is the one thing no man, no white man, black man, whoever can control. That's between you and God. And so brothers do not want the white man controlling that too. Mm -hmm. uh, he's controlling all these other factors in my life. Now he's controlling my religion. Now he's controlling my faith, my relationship with God. And they don't want that. And I get that. Because biblically, there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. and so if we, we have to remove that barrier so brothers understand when you give your life to Jesus Christ, the white man has nothing to do with it. It is between you and God and Jesus. And so that's really the goal of urban apologetics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's extremely, extremely helpful. I love that you pointed out that people are like, you can't have control over this area of my life. And so it's that uh, kind of that rebellion against uh, the the white uh, supremacist Christianity uh, framework. When you present these things, I know uh, you have had debates, King Movement hosted one with Vince and Brother Jabari. Um, there's still pushback from those in the conscious community. Uh, well, before we, we even get to their pushback, can you define the conscious community for our listeners? Because I think some people may be unaware of a whole community. I think many in the Black yeah. church are are not necessarily up on what's happening in that space, um, even though some of their young people are. Yeah, uh, the conscious community, I would say, it's obviously a loosely put together community. But it really is made up of black Americans who um, are skeptical of American hit America and who identify, want to identify with our African past and care about the upliftment of African American people. And they think the best way to do it is for us to go back to our African past. Now, that takes on many different, as you know, Lisa, the conscious community is varied. You've got mm -hmm. the Nation of Islam. You've got uh, the he Black Hebrew Israelites and all of their various strains. You've got uh, other forms of Islam even uh, in the conscious community. You've got uh, the Kemetics. You've got brothers that think the Black woman is God. And, you know, it's just so many different, you know, points of view in the black conscious community. But the one thing they all agree with is that we as African-Americans need to reconnect with our African past and we need to help, you know, work together 
to try to overcome the racism and white supremacy that we face. So that in a nutshell is the conscious community. And um, it used to be the nation of Islam from say the, the 60s, 50s and 60s on up to the early 2000s or so was the vanguard of the conscious community. And at that time, because the Nation of Islam is a religious organization and they do believe in morality, uh, similar to biblical morality, uh, because they were the vanguard of the conscious community through Malcolm X and then Louis Farrakhan, there was a morality associated with the conscious community. When I was in college and I graduated in 1990, and then throughout the 90s, if you said you were conscious, the, 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 a righteousness came with that. Like if, if a brother said he was conscious, you assume he's living a relatively clean life. He respects black women. Now, I'm not saying there wasn't, wasn't some hypocrisy and behind the scenes, some people were doing different things because obviously they, they were still sinners and not in Christ. So they were slaves to sin. But they promoted righteous behavior. Malcolm X led a very clean life. Louis Farrakhan, in many ways, leads a very clean life. My brother, when he was in the nation for eight years, lived in incredibly clean life morally. And so there was that, that kind of defined the conscious community, even for brothers and sisters who weren't in the nation of Islam. Not when the nation of Islam was weakened, and now it's very weak, it's not even close to what it used to be, uh, with them weakening the conscious community now, they're really, that sense of morality and righteousness is kind of gone. Mm -hmm. And now I'm not saying there aren't some in the conscious community who try to live a certain way and have you know, their morals uh, uh, of living life a certain way, but um, it, it is not what it used to be. And in a lot of ways, you see it on the internet, it's almost like battle rap. Uh, but battling guys battling with historical knowledge, so to speak, mm -hmm. and so-called knowledge. And so uh, it, it's not nearly what it used to be, um, but it does have an impact on the internet that's allowed the word to spread. And I've been surprised because, you know, I've been on Sinetter's network, which is one of the more popular in the conscious community. And Lisa, the first time I went on there, I, every time I've been on, I've been defending Christianity and, and railing against the notion that it's the white man's religion and, and proving that it's not. And I have had, you would be, I've had brothers from corporate America. Wow. Who you would never think even knew who Sinetter was or, or what these brothers on the streets were talking about, reach out to me and be like, man, thank you. Cause I was starting to question my faith. I was having doubts and, and you know, Lisa, here's the deal. Most black men did not join the nation of Islam and don't join the nation of Islam. Most black men will not become Hebrew Israelites. Most will not become Kemetics and join one of these mystery religions, if you will. But what happens is even if they don't join the group, it, it, and even if they continue to go to church, it weakens their faith so much they may not have the guts or, or whatever to leave the church, 
and become a full-fledged Muslim, become a full-fledged comedic. They got a job when they can't do that or whatever. Mm -hmm. But they become so weak in their faith and they're so doubtful of mm -hmm. Christianity, even as they claim to still be a Christian, mm -hmm. that they become very weak. They have no victory. And they really, whether they're saved or not, they just aren't very strong in their faith. And so it is not, you know, like I said, not a lot of people join the Nation of Islam, relatively speaking. But they're, they promoted, they, them being one of the first to really promote that Christianity was the white man's religion, that has had much wider impact than their numbers would suggest. And finally, let me say this before we move on. I always tell the brothers in the conscious community, two of your three patron saints, if you will, their, their, their trinity, if you will, of... Mm -hmm. uh, Marcus Garvey, Nat Turner, and Malcolm X. Mm -hmm. Those are probably the three pillars of the conscious community, the ones they hold in the highest regard. You know, there's others, uh, Elijah Muhammad and others, but Nat Turner, Marcus Garvey, Malcolm X are really the three pillars. Two of them were Christians, mm -hmm. Nat Turner and Marcus Garvey. And if you read their writings and read about their life, they weren't nominal Christians. They weren't just churchgoers. They weren't only Christians because, you know, we were in slavery or, or Marcus Garvey was, you know, right out, you know, early 20th century. And no, we didn't know any better. No, one of Marcus Garvey's closest uh, uh, confidants was a Muslim. So he knew about Islam. They had other alternatives and they still believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and stood up for that belief. And so I always tell brothers in the conscious community that and uh, just to make them think about it. Mm -hmm. What is their response usually? They usually try to say, well, you know, they, they didn't know any better or, you know, back then, of course, what, what else were they going to be, you know, and stuff like that. And, and the other thing I tell them, Lisa, is that. I say a lot of y'all will get saved. You will you will become Christians because that's black American history. You know, there are so many Christians who at one time were in the nation of Islam, who at mm -hmm. one time were black Hebrew Israelites, who at one time were black Panthers, who, you know, have various ideologies, you know, black power or Afrocentric ideologies. Um, and eventually they came to Christ mm -hmm. and that is going to happen with a lot of brothers in the conscious community. And what I tell them is I say, look, we want you to get saved while you're young and vibrant and energetic. You know, we don't <laughs> want you to be 75, 80 years old. You done tried every scheme in the book. You tried every scam. You know, you, you done, you're broken down and you're at your wits end and on your last leg and you come to Jesus just out of desperation. Now, if you do that, praise the Lord, you're saved. But we would ideally like you to get saved when you're young and when you can really go and be a major benefit for the kingdom and help really uh, strengthen and empower the African-American community. And so, um, yeah, it, it, it's uh, and I'll say this last thing you asked me earlier, why this myth still persists. A lot of these brothers, Lisa, this is what they do to make money. Mm. You know, they teach. 
um, and they teach, you know, whether whatever strain it may be, this is how many of them make whatever amount of money they make. And I don't begrudge them for making money. You know, white whites get paid for teaching and and blacks who work in mainstream America, colleges, high schools, elementary school get paid for teaching. Mm-hmm. And some of the teaching is off, just like mm-hmm. with in the conscious community. So I don't mind brothers making a living off teaching what they teach. Uh, but I think a lot of them is all they have to hold on to mm-hmm. as far as making some money, at least in their mind. And so I think that also is why some of them continue to teach it or hold on to it desperately, even as we go and and do apologetics with them and beat them in these debates. Uh, You mentioned Dr. Bantu versus Brother Jabari. We had Hebrew Israelites there. Captain Tazariak and some others were there. Uh, We had uh, Nation of Islam members and comedics there. And outside of the comedics, I assume, most of the other ones who weren't Christians that were there at least told me they thought Dr. Bantu won. That mm-hmm. seemed to be, for the most part, the consensus. And even brothers in the conscious community who saw it on video who weren't there. And so um, we're coming for me. And my whole thing, Lisa, because I kind of kick-started the getting us Dr. Mason, Adam Coleman, Dr. Bantu, um, uh, Damon Richardson, uh, who I think is like the goat of of the urban apologist, at least in debating, um, getting them in there. Because I approached, I looked, I went on 125th Street in Harlem and was mm-hmm. looking for Sinetta. Because I live in New Jersey. I'm not far from Harlem. I spent a lot of time there. And I met him and he knew me from television, from sports. And we we developed somewhat of a friendship. But I, I, my whole purpose, Lisa, was to get the Christian community a place in that conscious discussion. Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted to do because they beat on Christianity. Regardless of their very different ideologies, they all beat on Christianity. And a lot of it obviously is with falsehoods. And so I was like, let's, I want to get some Christian brothers in this space who can defend the faith, contend for the faith and reach people for the gospel. And so I did a few interviews with Sinetta, but then I wanted to get the ones who even, you know, they have more knowledge than me in this area. And those are the ones I mentioned. So now they appear, you know, they, they talk with Sinetta or they're on this, his channel and, you know, with the other brothers in the conscious community. And that's really what I wanted to do because Christians were being left out of the discussion and uh, not being able to, there was nobody there to contend for the faith. So I really wanted to just open that door and get them in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's helpful, especially them seeing um, other black men who have the information to go um, kind of toe to toe with right. the information they're, they're giving. Um, shout out to BK, the apologist too. I don't want to leave him out. Okay. Um, <laughs> tell us about, uh, as before we close, I definitely want to hear about uh, your upcoming conference with the King movement and kind of what's the the premise behind that and when is it happening? Who's going to be there? All of that stuff. Yeah. Thank you for that. Our, we, every year the King movement has a national summit, we call it. And this is the sixth annual national King summit. 
we're doing it in, and it really is a men's conference, and we're doing it in conjunction with uh, Christian Cultural Center in partnership with them, Pastor A.R. Bernard, and their men's ministry, which is the ICB, International Christian Brotherhood. So it's a partnership. The theme this year is it's kingdom time. It's kingdom time. And it's March 19th and 20th, and it's virtual. March 19th and 20th, so it's virtual to be that Friday night, the 19th, from 7 to 10 p.m., and Saturday, the 20th, from 12 noon to 5 p.m. And we have... One of the things, and I'm sure you know this, Lisa, uh, one of the things about everything being virtual right now is that mm -hmm. you can get better guests than you could when you have to have them in, in person. <laughs> you, know, you don't have to fly them in. You don't have to pay for hotels. They're charging less for their fee honorariums because, you know, it's virtual versus being there. And so we have got a just a an outstanding collection of Christian men who are going to be at this summit ministering to our men. And uh, we've got, as far as pastors, Dr. A.R. Bernard from the Christian Cultural Center in Brooklyn, New York, the largest church in uh, New York City. We got Pastor Dale Browner from Atlanta. We've got Pastor Derwin Gray from Charlotte, North Carolina. We got Pastor Eric Mason from Philadelphia. Uh, as far as biblical scholars, we've got Dr. Michael Brown, who's a Jewish believer in Jesus Christ. We got Dr. Vince Bantu, as I mentioned, Gentia Costa and Donald Cogdale, who, who have been adjunct professors at Nyack College. We've got rappers, Show Baraka, uh, Re Reconcile, D1, and uh, Speech from the group Arrested Development. is a He's a minister now and have been for many years. He's also a participant. Then athletes. We got Hall of Famer Brian Dawkins, uh, Hall of Fame football player. We've got Super Bowl champions Ben Watson and Greg Jennings. We've got former NFL MVP Sean Alexander. We've got um, Allen Houston, former NBA All-Star. Hall of Fame coach Tony Dungy. We've got uh, uh, Monty Williams, the coach of the Phoenix Suns. NBA championship player and coach Lionel Hollins. We got Eton Thomas, Clark Kellogg, and then uh, celebrities. We got Headache, who was famous from the AN1 mixtapes. He's a member of King. Mm -hmm. He's going to be there. We got a comedian, Ron G. So it's going to be awesome. And what we did was we mixed things up because we don't, we understand virtually that just one message after another could get boring. So we have keynote speeches. We have uh, interviews and then we have discussions. So we're going to have interviews and discussions on things like kingdom finance, which is your finances from a biblical perspective. Kingdom sex, which honoring God with our bodies. Kingdom diversity. Uh, the, the, the subtitle of that one is, is it a faith for all nations or the white man's religion? And that's a discussion mm -hmm. between me and Dr. Bantu, Dr. Vince Bantu. We've got uh, Kingdom Justice, which is a, a, the subtitle is uh, a biblical viewpoint of today's fight for racial justice and equality. We've got a kingdom uh, family, how to be a godly husband and father. Kingdom challenges. What challenges do we face as 
Christian men in America in the 21st century and how do we overcome them? Kingdom unity, which is how can we uh, have unity in the body of Christ in America across racial lines, which obviously we haven't been able to do. And so uh, all of those are discussions. Like I said, we got hip hop videos. We got a step team. It's just, it's going to be phenomenal. And I know any man that tunes in is going to be blessed incredibly by this, uh, this summit. And where can they get tickets? They can register. I'm looking now. I'm supposed to get the, uh, here it is, uh, general. Okay. So general registration opens on Friday, which is what is February 5th, mm -hmm. Friday, February 5th, general registration opens. You can go to kingmovement.com. That's kingmovement.com or send an email to king at kingmovement.com to register. Kingmovement.com or king at kingmovement.com to register. And we will send you a link directly. Registration is $50. And um, like I said, I, it's going to be well worth it. You could just sit back and watched and learned. And um, it's, it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be fantastic. So the men out there watching, make sure you register for the King Movement. Uh, this sounds like a phenomenal time and an amazing lineup. Chris, how can people get in contact with you online? You can, uh, you can go to our website, kingmovement.com, to learn more about the King Movement. We have uh, about 15 chapters throughout the country. And uh, we're growing. And so any men even interested in becoming a part of the King Movement, uh, you can email us at king at kingmovement.com. We're on Instagram, the King Movement, uh, at the King Movement. We're on Twitter, same thing, at the King Movement. Um, but yeah, those websites, kingmovement.com or email king at kingmovement.com. And you're on Instagram and Twitter under Chris Broussard, correct? Yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter at Chris underscore Broussard. And Instagram at Chris Broussard 68. Chris Broussard 68. Awesome. Thank you so much, Chris. I've enjoyed talking to you. And I know our audience has enjoyed um, your insight and wisdom as well. Uh, thank you all for tuning in to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. Remember here at the Jew 3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why. Make sure you to grab our curriculum through Eyes of Color take an online course or become a monthly partner all at jew3project.org until next time grace and peace and god bless thank you so much for listening to another episode of the jew3 project podcast i hope you enjoyed this episode you can tune into all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com you can subscribe on itunes stitcher Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching Jew3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. 
So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to Jew3Project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.